I'm Sean. And I'm Alex. <laughs> and that's Grayson. And this is Autism Building the Puzzle. One piece at a time. Hi, and welcome to Autism Building the Puzzle, one piece at a time. I'm Sean, your host, and I'm back with another one. And today we are going to start uh, our list of favorite episodes, the top five episodes. We'll have number four and number five on the list. So kicking it off with number five, our interview with Sam, uh, the RBT, uh, with the psychology background. It was one of our uh, favorite episodes, uh, one of our first episodes, episode number eight. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to Autism Building the Puzzle, One Piece at a Time. Sean here with you. I got my wonderful wife, Alex, with me. Hey, everyone. Super excited today. We have an awesome interview coming up uh, with a ABA therapist, uh, Sam. He's got tons of experience, um, not just in ABA, but all different types of, types of uh, psychology, um, group homes, and uh you know, all different age groups, so we're really looking forward to the interview, super excited about it, and we think uh, we've got a lot of great information coming your way, so let's get started. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for having me. Super excited to have you here. Yes. Um, so just to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you get into the ABA field? So um, my background academically, believe it or not, was not ABA. It was just psychology, more specifically uh, social psych and research. And unfortunately, when you come out of school, getting a job in research isn't as easy as, it, as you hoped for it to be. Um, so I started off in an A++ group home. So that's, uh, you know, guys who need a lot, a lot of help um, to kind of simply stay. And I kind of worked my way up in the nonprofit field from just a direct support professional to a behavior specialist. And so once that, I think, three or four year period came, I was able to work in ABA and was able to get us a really, really solid supervisor who introduced it to me. And it wound up giving me kind of the backbone of a lot of therapeutic services that I provide now today. Awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, so for some of the parents out there that especially are just starting with ABA, what are some of the most common deficits you've seen since you work with so many different children and you know, different age groups and stuff like that? So it's funny, when I hear the word deficits, my thought isn't like, oh, what are the individuals struggling with? To me, it's all about execution, consistency, and actually following through with uh, clinical services, whether it's ABA or any other form of services. Um, I think it's a lot of responsibility, not just on a client, but on a client's family to really take the time to do the homework and the legwork to generalize the therapeutic services in session and out of session. So the deficits usually come from that consistency of services because, let's call it as it is, the field has a lot of turnover and you're always getting little bits of information from this kind of therapist and that kind of therapist. And um, it really gets hard over time to be consistent with therapeutic services. And I think that's the biggest deficit. It's not with a child or, a, or even a young adult. You know, you could teach them almost anything. Yeah. And, and whether it's ABA or another kind of therapeutic approach, um, the deficit comes with the lack of maintenance, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, I think when Grayson, especially in the beginning, when we we switched therapists a whole ton of times in the beginning, and we were being told different things from different people all the time, well, well, no, you're not supposed to be doing it that way. You're supposed to be doing it this way. 
And as a parent in the beginning, when you don't understand what's going on or you don't have a good knowledge base, you're kind of like, you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're not sure who you can really trust, especially when you start getting, you know, uh, information that contradicts each other and, and things like that. So, you know, I can really see how that is definitely a, a, a problem in the, the treatment field. So Yeah, it's, it's something that it's, uh, it's really disheartening, you know? Because you, you would hope that in time people would learn to work more collectively as far as gathering information, and it's not quite there yet. We're, and I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but, you know, as the therapist that I am now today, you know, it was very different back then. And looking back, I wish I would have generalized more information. You know, I wish I would have worked more collectively with my peers in the past. Because that would have made probably the clients and the families more successful back then. Yeah, definitely. What type of children benefit the most from ABA, would you say? I say all children. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't think it's just like children, a, an animals, ASD anything. thing. I don't think it's <laughs> a child with a diagnosis thing. Like, ABA is structure in its purest form. Yeah. Um, and I think it's something that we all benefit as, as a society. Like, we earn, we work hard, we earn, we get, and we enjoy. It, yeah. You know, that's not something that's limited to a child with ASD. And I think that's such a funny thing that... You know, people think ABA and they think autism right away. Yeah. But a lot of principles used in ABA are generalized to other parts of the world. Like, um, my actual background is organizational psychology, and there's actually a subcategory of ABA called organizational behavior management. Okay. Which it takes the principles of ABA and it applies to a business model. And I, I looked into it, and I absolutely love it. Yeah. It's, you measure, you quantify, and it brings in a lot of different disciplines. And for me, you know, I think ABA is a really wonderful tool, and it's something that you should use not just with children, but use with adults. Like it's something like I use for myself. It's like, do I do enough push-ups to earn that cookie? You know. It's oh, I do that to Sean. It's you know? silly, but you do it. You know. Hey, hey, hey honey, uh, you can have an extra cookie if you, uh, you know, put your your uh, clothes in the laundry basket. I can do it to everybody except clean. my dog. If she does something wrong, she gets a treat. <laughs> I'll let you go fishing if you, if you take out the garbage for me. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Like, it does work for yes. a lot of different applications. And so I think it's almost limiting to say it's just for people with ASD. I think it's for everybody. Yes. You know, what I find interesting about that is I, I did some a little bit of studying on uh, CBT. And mm -hmm. I feel like there's definitely some correlations in CBT with ABA. And that's that's a huge thing, too. You know, it's funny. I was going through my old thesis stuff, and, you know, the research back then, I think it was, like, 2011, 2008, and they were still saying, like, well, CBT is great. doesn't work as well as ABA, but I know there's been a lot of advancement. There's a lot of adaptation of uh, practice and theory since then. And there, if you do look at the basics of CBT, yeah, there's a lot of backbone of ABA from there. Why? Because there's structure. There's data collection. There's consistent delivery of consistent deliverance of services and that's what ABA is so strong with like it gives you that model of how to measure how to keep up with things from a data point uh, view and for me that I mean I didn't really understand data until I got to like my later years of school and how important it was but I think that's what makes it so successful because ABA is great but there's other models out there and I am particularly a big fan of CBT and if you can work with a client that has the ability to use CBT techniques I am beyond excited. But if not, ABA is great. Yeah. And I think data collection is very, very important. And that's where ABA differs from, you know, regular therapies like OT and things like that. 
unless there is a problem like that we faced with Grayson and behaviorally, mm-hmm. that was the only time that we started taking data yeah. was to see it on that paper and, you know, get the BCBA from the state involved. Um, so that's very, very important because I think putting it on paper as opposed to just saying, well, you know, I think this happened like three days ago, but then maybe yesterday he was good. That way it's all charted and you can see what's, you know, decreasing yeah. or getting better. Yeah, and with like, behavior and, and data is important. It's never really as perfect as you want it or think it is. Because um, even in like, I know OTs and speech therapists that do use data, not as intensely as ABA, but, you know, it's something, it gives you something to look back on. It goes, oh, we see this, this, this in here. And you being the parents, you could probably more accurately go to the table. This day he didn't sleep as well. This day, you know, maybe he didn't eat the extra meal. Like, there's other little variables that, you know, you kind of forget about sometimes. Right. Like that, that affect it, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, uh, let's think about, like, the, the person-centered approach. Look at the whole person. Um, that goes in a lot to the planning, and I think that's something that we really are going to talk about, too, I think, is that person-centered approach. It's huge, and ABA has actually brought that in. I know the Bog Center... Um, it's a great act, uh, resource for people in New Jersey where it, there's a lot of free trainings and seminars that bring in positive behavior support, which is essentially another form of ABA. Everybody defines ABA a little bit differently. So what what is ABA to you? Oh, man. Well, once again, saying, like, I'm not – I don't have my master's in applied behavior analysis. I don't have my uh, BCBA, and it's not – I'm not even sure if it's something I really want to pursue – but for me, ABA, um, it's just a really well-structured approach to understanding what's happening to increase functionality, uh, decrease maladaptive behaviors, and kind of give some of the ability to learn skills um, that may struggle doing it in a more natural setting. ABA, once applied in that kind of like hyper-intensive manner, it sometimes looks a little cold, but I, I have seen a success. Um, so for me, ABA is just... You know, it's a, it's a foundation. For me, ABA is the foundation. Why is this happening? What's the, uh, you know, what's the function of the behavior? Like, what's the rate? What's the, the duration? All those, like, kind of little things that I need to get started, that's what ABA is for me. It's a foundation of services. Awesome. Um, so, tell me about the most challenging experience you've encountered oh. throughout your time. Um, I've had a lot of challenging sure. experiences. Uh-huh. Like, sure. <laughs> I've, uh, like, remember I said I worked for two nonprofits. One of them, one of the agencies was immensely behavioral. Like, that is what it was. It was a behavioral agency. Um, and you know what's funny? As much as I've been hit, bit, struck, y- you know, all those, like, kind of day in and day out kind of things, kind of, the, one of the hardest things is kind of just is showing a family, hey, this is what's going on. This is what we should do. And trying to convince them this is what we should do. I think that's something that's really hard because you have to, you have a lot of barriers to kind of overcome. There's like uh, social standards, there's political views, there's uh, religious views. And I, sometimes these things just don't overlap as evenly as you think. Oh, and it, it gets sticky, man, because, yeah. you know, when I'm thinking I'm trying to help someone and giving them my clinical opinion, I might be insulting them because that's something they were raised with. So it's that yeah. fine line of like, giving them the data without being insulting. And I think that's something that, you know, I know I had a, tr- a very hard time with in my young career. And even there's been times, you know, I want to say in this whole pandemic too, like how do we, you know, provide these intensive services without stepping on feet, make it seem, not making it seem cold or insulting their traditions or their 
their cultures or their rituals. Yeah. I think that's something that I, I really, uh, I think it's a really big struggle and um, I'm not sure if I'm the only therapist that sees a lot of these struggles, but I, I know I professionally have come across them more times than I really want to acknowledge. Oh, yeah. it, it's a it's a really unfortunate thing to see. Like, you know, I, it's I never even thought about that. And uh, it's hard because you don't know when you're going to be you know, in a situation. Yeah. Being you know a different perspective, obviously, uh, being a parent, only having one child with autism and mm. living through that experience, you having all of those different perspectives. I never really thought about how you know one family culture from one relig- you know one religion would be completely different than treating another family in a completely different religion and yeah culture and stuff, like so. the cultural competency that I had to kind of acquire was a lot, it was a bit shocking for me because you know my original mentality was like well this is the science and this is how it's going to be and that doesn't work like. You know, the science is important, and it's the biggest, most, like, such a huge part of what I do, but at the end of the day, not everyone is buying it, and that's okay, and, like, that's the thing, like, it's okay not to buy into it. My job now is to really help them show them, well, in this, how how can I make you feel comfortable? How can I make it seem like this is working for you and your family and your child, or your young adult, or your friends, or, like, you know, that's been one of the hardest things, and I think we've done really well in the field to kind of learn how to do this more efficiently. And I think once you get past that barrier and they actually see the changes that their children are going through and how much it is helping with what you're doing, I think some of them kind of come around, you know, because I, I've even personally, I mean, we've had therapists that, you know, you say something and you're like, no, this is my child. I know him, you know, Mm -hmm. but sometimes you have to take a step back and say, well, wait a minute. Okay. That may be true. I may know him, but I have to listen to the other side too, you know, and sometimes, yeah, I didn't agree with everything, but all that mattered, what was best for Grayson at that time. So that's that's tough for me. I give you guys, I give you guys a lot of credit, like, because, you know, as the therapist, I see what the the client's enduring and I'm, I'm there for like, what, two, three hours at a time, but I'm gone. And then, you know, you guys have to manage the rest of the day and you have to manage your son and your own emotions and your own opinions of what the client and the therapist are doing in their own kind of way. It's a lot. It's a lot to kind of handle. And I, I give a lot of families credit. You know, I don't think uh, therapists ever kind of acknowledge that. Like, I, I didn't see it a lot growing up or in my, in my young career. But now that I'm kind of getting towards the middle part of my career, hopefully, I'm seeing, like, there needs to be a little more respect for the families as far as what they're feeling throughout the sessions. I agree. And, you know, I've always had... I have seen, you know, we've had sometimes therapists come and go. And, you know, one time we um, had a therapist and, you know, I thought when he walked in, okay, you know, he seems nervous. I'm going to, you know, because I'm sure it's really hard walking into a home and not knowing, not just, just being uncomfortable. You know what I mean? So I've always tried to go out of my way and make that person comfortable because I can't imagine just going and not knowing the mom, the dad, and here you are you know, giving the child demands and you don't know how they're going to react. Yeah. And then the biggest thing I think too is when you leave, I think the hardest thing is when the parents aren't consistent mm-hmm. and it's not continuing the therapy at home during mm-hmm. their time when there's no therapist. And, and that is uh, yeah. confusing and to the child. Yeah. Every parent's been guilty of it at times because it's just, it's, it's very difficult to maintain the consistency all the time. You know what I mean? It's you're not impossible. Always, things that you're not feeling good one day, yeah. this is going on, 
you're under pressure yeah. with this and that and you know so and it's impossible the first to, to be that, perfect so. too like look i say my wife and I with our cats we'll say the same we'll say the complete opposite thing at the same moment of how to handle the cat <laughs> and like it just it happens and like one day I'm like okay you can walk on the counter and then I say I'm like taking my hat off and throwing it at it and like get off the counter I cook <laughs> on there I'm gonna get people sick like you know it just it happens yeah we're human we're all too human and I, I think that's something that we, we need to kind of reground ourselves with we're all human yeah. therapist is human families are human the child the young adult very human as well um, yeah. it happens well like, you know that leads me world. to like thinking about the holistic approach the and not just holistic in terms of the child or the patient but holistic in terms of the whole family unit yeah and I, I think that's some place that the medical community would be really uh, they would be really good if they went and looked at that a little bit more because I think they'd make yeah. more progress you know? I, I agree and the family model is essentially that um, you know how how the family dynamics work in favor or even against uh, the care of the client, um, and once you were to be able to look at those things and kind of be like, okay, this is the family dynamic. What do I need to do to help every part, not just the client, but everyone in that unit? Does this person need a little more support here? Do they need more information? Do they need a little bit more space? Do they need like? There's a lot of dynamics in the household, and you know. If a, if a uh, clinician is able to kind of manage that more efficiently, I think they could be more successful in the homes. However, I think it's something that... I know New Jersey's trying to move in that direction. I know they really are. Um, I do know that the family model is strong here. I also know the person-centered approach is being pushed really hard, and I really like the person-centered approach. Um, I forgot what the, the branch of psychology is, or even ABA. It's positive behavior. That's it, positive behavior supports. I talked about the box center earlier, and I know in the nonprofits that was the basics. Like you needed to go through these state trainings to be a behavior specialist, and the things I learned in those classes were wonderful. Yeah, because it was ABA, but it was more person centered in a way. It was very holistic. Um, look at the whole person. What do they need? Not just behaviorally, but what else do they need? What social needs do they have? Yeah. What emotional needs do they have? And they weren't. We weren't given ways to help those things, but we were also trained to be more aware of them. Yeah. That's something I didn't learn in a classroom. Yeah. In today's world, like, we've become so, um, you know, in the corporate professional world, we've become so specialized mm -hmm. that we've lost sight of how each of those specializations connect to one another and yeah. affect one another in many ways. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, obviously, I think ABA and, you know, is no different, so... We'll be right back after a word from our show sponsors. Here at Building the Puzzle, we understand how difficult and challenging it can be for parents with autistic children that have communication delays. Well, if you're in New Jersey, you're in luck. The Speech Paradigm has you covered. They're helping children overcome speech challenges all across New Jersey. They offer both telehealth services as well as in-home therapy. Please reach out to them. You can uh, take a look on their website at www thespeechparadigm.com you can reach out by phone at 732-203-5268 you can also find them both on Facebook and Instagram as well at The Speech Paradigm we are also sponsored by Grayson & Company 
making homemade toys. They have everything from wooden homemade toys to sensory bins, sensory boards, all different kinds of toys for your children. Uh, they can be reached at grayson-company.myshopify.com as well as on Facebook and Instagram as well as Etsy. On Etsy, they can be found at Grayson and Company Toys. And now back to the show. Agreed. So what would you say three things are that parents should know about ABA? Oh, I mean, there's a lot about ABA people should know. Um, <laughs> I, I, we're talking about it earlier. There's many forms of ABA. You know, we know it's truest extent. You know, we're looking uh, from the Skinner, the Thorndike, um, Watson even. Like, you know, the foundation of ABA as it grew, it, it became this wonderful thing. Um, ABA has taken on many forms over the years. And the ABA that was used way back when is different than the ABA now today. And I think that's something that people should really know about. It's not as, uh, for lack of better words, as barbaric as it was back then. Because right. in many ways it was. It looked very cold. It was very, you know, scientific, very sterile. Um, ABA is, isn't as, as sterile as it used to be. So it is more person-centered. And I think I, the agencies that I've worked for more recently I really understand that. And I, I'm happy to see that uh, social growth and that professional growth. Um, another thing about ABA, it can be really intense. It's really intensive, and it can be very invasive. And I know we always try, try to start from least to most invasive, but ABA can be very, very invasive. And it, even today, can still look uh, very cold and very unhumane at times that isn't the goal though and i want people to really understand that that we we're not maliciously doing these things sometimes it's just part of the procedure like if i see a child cry and i'm just not responding to it it doesn't make me a cold or bad person that i don't care because when i see my clients cry i die inside a little bit and my my thoughts are like what have i done to make this kid upset and i know what i've done but it, it's hard, it's a hard thing to manage sometimes as the client as I'm sorry as the uh, professional, but you do it you endure it you have that straight face and you redirect the client to reinforce the more appropriate things. Um, you, it can be cold. ABA can look cold, yeah. and I understand that. And that's something that I think a lot of people should be prepared for. That's the the best thing to be prepared for, but it's something to to know. Third, ABA, it's great. It's wonderful. It literally is the backbone of what I'm doing today, but it's a tool and tool should not the toolbox. Yeah. Um, we were talking about the holistics. We were talking about the person-centered approach. Um, I am limited as an ABA specialist. I'm limited as a behavior tech. I don't have the training of a speech language pathologist, an occupational therapist, a physical therapist. I, I don't have a PhD in psychology. Yes, there's a lot of overlap in these things. And ABA can really touch upon a lot of things in the OT and speech world. But at the end of the day, their behavior, and I think there needs to be a better understanding that ABA can do a lot of things, but sometimes you need the other specialists, and I, th I know professionally I've struggled to, to meet a good mix of BCBAs that understand that, and BCBAs that are like, nope, BCBA rules the world and it can do everything. Yeah. I, 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 I get scared of that, you know, because not everyone can do everything. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky we're currently, the supervisors I have and the guides I have, they're very well-rounded, but I have been in the past with BCBAs that I look at them with, with I say disgust. Yeah. You're one part of the puzzle, right? You're one part, not the whole thing. Um, we got to respect the other forms of care and 
we really need to work collectively rather than I do this, you do this, da, da, da. It, it's it's petty. It's yeah. petty and it's childish. The, the, yeah. the ego gets in the way sometimes. Oh, it Absolutely. does. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I, like I said, now that I'm kind of later in my career, I've seen us move away from that. But early on in my career, man, there was a lot of ego there, and that's why I didn't last very long in those other companies because I was like, I'm not dealing with this. This isn't this isn't about me. It's about the client. Right. And once. Once that got in the way, once there you got in the way, I, I knew no matter clinically, no matter how much I knew, no matter how successful I was, I, I wasn't yeah. any further than I was yeah. in those companies or even with the clients because I was going to be stifled by the ego. Yeah. Um, it happens. So uh, to summarize it, ABA is great, but it's a tool in the tool shed, not the whole, not the whole thing. And yeah. ABA has definitely been life-changing. I mean, when we started it for Grayson, you know, we were kind of running out of options at that point and... It was what needed to be done. We needed to get those behaviors under control. And I will say, I don't think we could have stopped, started at a better time. I mean, we got them right in at three. And it was great because a lot of those behaviors weren't full-on habits yet. They were e- easier to change. Still struggle. And we still struggle today. But I couldn't imagine waiting until he was like six or seven and starting ABA. We're in a completely different place because of, because of it. Yeah, I mean, he was much more moldable. Yes, absolutely. At three, then he would have been starting, uh, you know, at an older age. So, yeah, that definitely had a huge impact on where we are now compared to where we, we could be. And it's helped you him just I mean? all around, not just with, you know, completing a task or a demand. I mean, with everything at home, you know, having life a routine, skills. life, life skills, skills brushing his teeth, um, everything important. being in order the way it should be. Um, he's really grown in all of those areas. Yeah, I think it was the perfect time to, to start him in it. Like, it's never too early to get involved in ABA. Never. The earlier you get your child support, the better off they're going to be. I mean, honestly, had I known really, I, I mean, as a first-time mom going through autism, having an autistic child, you don't know about ABA. You don't really know about anything. They kind of walk you through everything, early intervention, and then tell you the next step to do. Had I known about that, he would have been in ABA eight, 18 months. I mean, I probably would have done ABA, OT, but that would have been the most important thing to me, honestly. Because I feel like he's made so much progress through there. And, you know, the OT and the DI were fantastic. They were, like, the basics and mm-hmm. the starting kind of... I know you said ABA's basic basics, but I'm saying... Just when you're first starting out in that early okay. intervention kind of program, ABA, I think, is definitely an important one to include. Yeah, so, Sam, what are some of the things parents should be doing or not doing during therapy? If, you know, Should they be more involved? What should they be doing if they're involved? And what maybe should they not be doing? That's a case-by-case <laughs> thing. And, that, and that's, that's the thing, like... Um, some families need more involvement. Some families need less involvement. It really depends on, like, what are the functions of the behavior? Um, what's the form of reinforcement? Um, how often do these behaviors occur with people present or not present? Like, there's so many variables that it's unfair to say, like, well, this is what every parent should do. Or it, It's not like that. Mm-hmm. And going back to the family approach, you know, some families need different kinds of supports. And some families need to be more present. Some people need to be less present happens and I think families shouldn't be so hyper concerned of involvement take the guidance of the, of the professionals um, and if you don't like a professional get a second opinion there's nothing wrong with that mm. uh, we're not perfect like I said I'm in the middle of my career I, I wish I had 10 more years experience on me than I do now just be prepared to 
you know, learn. Be prepared to learn. I think that's what it comes down to. And I'll say, you know, I was always involved with therapy, and I always was right there. And I think in the beginning it's hard because, you know, you know that it's a new thing that they're going through, and some therapists are just coming in. They don't have a full understanding yet, so you kind of try to help a little bit. Mm -hmm. But now how I am, like with ABA, I take a step back because I have to because he's at a certain place now where I am just more of a distraction to him. So now I kind of take a back seat and let the therapist do, you know, what they need to do instead of me jumping in and being right next to Grayson and being like, okay, well, no, let's not do that how I used to do. And that's hard. I give you a lot it of is. credit for it that. Because, like, that's your, that's your baby. Like, you want to love your child. You want them to feel safe at school all times. And to see your child crying is awful. Yeah. Like, yeah. it is it, traumatic. It, it, and it's it's traumatic for the mom. Yeah. It can be traumatic for the child. It's traumatic for the therapist. It's like, yeah. oh. But it's tough. It is really tough, and it takes a lot of strength for families to know when to get involved and not get involved, and to really take the guidance of the therapist. As I said earlier, this is not tough. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean this is this is very tough. This is not easy. Is what I meant to say. And you know, you're right because sometimes, like depending on how I am, if it's an emotional day, and you know, Grayson's in ABA and he turns back and he looks at you and he's got his arm out and he's like, "Mom," and you're like. Oh. I just got to run to him. But you know you can't because that you have to follow through. And when the behavior is over or the meltdown and he completed the task or whatever it may be, then I can come in with that compassion. But sometimes it's heartbreaking. And there's been days, Sean will look at me some days and say, why are you crying? I'm like, he's crying. Like, I want to help him, but I can't, you know? Mm. And sometimes I just have to walk away because I'm like, I can't help. Folks, I'm not cold-hearted. I've just, <laughs> I've gotten to the point where I've been going through it long enough that I realized that... Oh, well, same. Being a parent is not easy. And sometimes we have to yeah. do things that kill us inside, but it's the yeah, right thing 100%. to do because it's the in best the best interest of our kids. Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, I, I give families a lot of credit. This is not easy. What else would you want to inform parents about what we haven't already touched on? I want parents to really know that it, there are a lot of services available, but the services that are there are hard to access. And I think families and parents need to learn that you need to be so, so, so tenacious to access those resources, to access those services, and not to give up on, your, on yourself or on your child or loved one. There are good therapists out there. There are good organizations out there. And they might not be easy to find. You, you think you just Google it and then it pops right up. It may not be like that. Just stay vigilant. Um... Do whatever you think you can to take care of yourself and yourself too, because you're a big part of this, and your loved ones. You gotta you gotta fight a little bit sometimes, and I get that. Yeah. Um, whether it's because you don't agree with the therapist, or you feel something's not quite right, um, maybe you're not feeling well. Just advocate. I think advocation is one of the biggest things that a family member can do, in whatever form, whether it's just a simple phone call just vetting out other pieces of information. There's a lot of a lot of information nowadays. You know, we have this wonderful worldwide web of information, but we're starting to get a little inundated. And I think parents really need to be careful of where they go, where they get the information, and they should really, really, really be careful. Um, I really want to see 
people succeed, and sometimes that information can set them back, and also not to get overwhelmed by it. I, I really, yeah. I really want parents to focus on their health and their child's health, and that could take a lot of money. That could take a lot of forms. Um, as, as I said, like I'm an ABA therapist right now, but I, I am more kind of uh, Rogerian, for lack of better words, more humanist. Take care of yourself. You can't take you can't take care of yourself. You can't take care of your child. Agreed. self preservate Make sure that you're okay. Because if you're your best version of yourself, you'll be that much better for your child, and that much better not today, but tomorrow and every day after that. You be- took the words right out of my mouth with that. <laughs> great, great advice. Great Definitely. advice. Definitely. You bring the be- you bring a better version of yourself um, to being a parent. When you do that, when you take a little time to make sure that you're you're taken care of and you're healthy, right? Yeah, because you know, with a child with special needs, you can definitely put yourself on the back burner. It's it's very busy, and you know, we were talking about this earlier, me and Sean. You know, I mean, I think a lot of parents you kind of let yourself go, and then once the child's at a certain point, then you start going to the doctors and making sure you're okay. But it can't be like that. You have to make sure that you are a hundred percent, so you can always be a hundred percent for your child. Because without it, you won't be able to maintain it. Yeah, and back to the uh, advocacy thing. You know, you are your child's biggest and best advocate. So, absolutely. Uh, you know that is extremely important. And you know, go out there, look into as much information as you can. Like Sam said, don't um, don't just jump in on everything and believe everything you read out there. Compare different resources to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, Huge. I think some of the biggest things is you know bouncing ideas off of uh, off of people, off of other parents. You know, I think speaking to other parents that have gone through the same thing, maybe getting involved in a uh, support group, uh, mm-hmm. so you can you know have other people that are going through similar situations, and you know, every one of these kids is completely different. Mm-hmm. Like Alex loves to say. You've met one person with autism. You've met just that one person with autism. Definitely agree. So you know, I, I think you you know you really need to hear what those people have to say. It doesn't mean it's going to work for you and your child, but right. Eventually, when you go through that stuff, you're going to find things that you know are are going to have an impact and are going to help. So definitely, and you know, a lot of times I would even vent and talk to our therapist. I mean, they become like family. You know, the therapists were in our home more than I saw my husband at the time. And, you know, I was, even when they left, it was hard. It was, I was very, very upset because they became a part of the situation. And I leaned on them a lot and I vented to them a lot. And even though, you know, medically and things like that, they can't say, but even just hearing what other parents are doing, you know, it helps. So there's nobody better to know than a parent who has gone through it or a therapist. Yeah, and to kind of piggyback what you're saying earlier about like supports, like for me particularly, I'm very fortunate where my circle of friends is is full of speech language pathologists, OTs, uh, LPCs, social workers. I have a very big group of people that I I talk to about this stuff, and obviously we respect all our HIPAA laws. We don't use names, but we'll go down like one day, like I remember this is one day, I had about five people over, all therapists, and we just sat there like I have this client, I have that client. And we all left that session, or even that meeting of, amongst friends. We went to our ther- We went to our set clients the next week. We saw, oh man, this worked, but this didn't work, but that worked really well. I didn't think of it like this before. Um, therapists, like if anyone is in my position now, my advice to you is 
grow your group of friends, especially if they're therapists, not just ABA therapists, all forms of therapy. therapy. Yeah. They are going to share with you things that you may never have thought of. Find support. It's there. Just got to gotta go get it. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're doing ABA, that's another, that you know, brings up another point. If you're doing ABA, don't use one therapist if you can help it. I know with no, COVID no. it's a little challenging right yeah. now. You don't want to be working with a ton of, you know, different people, but when you have the ability to work with multiple therapists, you get different points of view. Yeah. And your child interacts with different people in different ways. So I believe I mean that's that. what we've seen too with the, all the different therapists. I mean we've worked with gosh. A lot. A dozen therapists now. So it's so funny you guys say that. I recently had a uh, a family who they were just got home insisted me coming to the house more, doing more hours, and I told them because I found out they were trying to get me in there over another clinician, and I told them, please don't do that because yeah, I'm here x amount of hours per week, and I'm giving this client very valuable information, giving you guys more valuable information, but I don't know what the other guy has. He may be worse than me, but he may be a lot better. Uh, I'm open to that. You know, there's. There's always someone smarter, bigger, and better than me. And I want to learn from those people, and the mm-hmm. family should take advantage of that. So, Sean, thank you for hitting that. And I know with COVID it's scary, but yeah, the therapists, they're, they're, they come in all shapes and sizes with a lot of different experience, a lot of different sense of input, and uh, families really, you know, they should take advantage of that. Definitely. Yeah. So before we wrap things up, is there anything we didn't discuss that you think is important to share with our listeners oh man there's so much I want to share Uh, for today let's just call it as it is Um, I really just want everyone to focus on self-preservation self-care take care of yourself then take care of your child that to me is the strongest piece of advice I can leave with Um, make sure that you're taking care of yourself physically mentally socially socially is really tough nowadays we know how it is with the pandemic take care of yourself yeah because when I see families, like when they seem happier and more relaxed, they project that to their children. The yeah. therapist picks up on that. The rest of the house picks up on that. The animals pick up on it's it. An, it's and an that's energy. that's true because energy. and, and though mean, though hermetic in many ways, I still believe it's a very real thing. Yeah, and I I totally believe in that because I remember when we started early intervention. You know, Sean and me would butt heads a lot because it was stressful. We just found out Grayson was autistic. We're starting therapy. He's working. I'm here alone, and days, some days were really, really, really hard. Um, and we would butt heads a lot. And you would notice on those days, Grayson wasn't the best that he could be. That was coming off on him. And I remember even the DI talking to me, you know, and kind of as a friend saying, okay, listen, they see all of that. They feel all of that. So you really have to make sure that everything is good with you guys so that the child sees the happiness and yeah. the love, and it's just much better for them. Much better. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up and leave it there. Thank you guys for Sam. having me. I had a blast, and Thank hopefully you we can so do this again soon. Yeah, it's a super uh, great interview. We're happy to have you, and hopefully we'll be able to bring you back again. For Autism, Building the Puzzle, One Piece at a Time, I'm Sean. And I'm Alex. Signing off. Take care, everybody. That was an awesome episode with Sam the RBT. We hope you enjoy. That's our number five on the list. Uh, moving right down, next we're going to move to number four. And this one uh, particularly hits home. Obviously, it's our story, uh, episode number three, uh, where we talk about who we are, um, who Grayson is, and you know how building the puzzle and the podcast all came to be. Hope you enjoy. Hi, and welcome 
This is Sean, and we're here with Building the Puzzle One Piece at a Time. Um, I got my wonderful wife with me. Hello, hello. Excited for another great episode. Oh, yeah. I think we've been uh, preparing this uh, one for quite a while. Yes. Um, We're going to really spend a lot of time talking about our story and what we've experienced through the four to almost four and a half years now of being parents to Grayson. Um, and uh, we're super excited about it. I mean, I think Alex has written about 40 pages of notes of all the things uh, <laughs> she wants to talk about so today. There's a lot of important um, topics here, so I want to be prepared, and I, I want to give everybody the most information, kind of give us, us yeah. a background story. And, and of course, you know. When we talk about our son, we get really excited about it. So We do. <laughs> we talk about him every minute, even if he's not with us. <laughs> I think that's what every parent does. Of course. I mean, look, we're doing it right now. Yeah. We actually have a, <laughs> He goes to his Mima and Grandpa's just so we can record, so we can talk about him some more. <laughs> so it's kind of funny, actually. Uh, all right. So, uh, Alex, why don't you, uh, you know, kick it off. Where would you like to start? So, like Sean said, we're going to be talking about a lot of important information, just our background, our journey. Um, So this is going to be all about us and our son, Grayson. Um, So we're going to start off with the beginning of when Grayson was a baby and when Grayson was an infant. um, He was a fantastic baby. He, He was just joyful. He never cried and stuff. He was so no, quiet. No. He was so quiet. Very calm. Yeah, very calm. Self-soothing. Very, yes. He was great, great at that. Never took a pacifier. Um, I think he did the pacifier for about four days when we came home from the hospital, and then that was it. He just stopped on his own, which I was happy about because I did not want to go through the whole pacifier thing and having to take it away one day and it messing up his teeth, so we just didn't do it. Um, so yeah, he was a great baby. He loved motion when he would sleep. He hated the halo bassinet. He would always sleep in the mamaroo or in his swinging glider. Um, it wasn't abnormal though. I didn't think it was a problem. Like I wasn't like, oh, he wants this all day, every day. So yeah, it was just like normal baby stuff. So baby wanted to be rocked. So it was just, you know, regular baby stuff. It's great when you have equipment that can rock the baby for you. Yes. (laughs) How times have changed since years ago. A long, long time ago. (laughs) Um, Certain things he would do. He did. We would sit him in his chair and he would, he was strapped in and he would rock a lot. And that probably was a problem, but me not knowing any signs of autism at that point and not even knowing anybody with autism, it, again, did not stand out to me as a problem. Um, He would get excited, kick his legs, his arms. We would put him at the front of the room, and within literally two minutes, he would be about 10 feet back all the way at the sofa in the chair. He could literally move it. It had no wheels. the whole chair backwards. Just by rocking his body forward and backward. Um, So, yeah. The one thing that probably should have stood out was every time, like, if we went to my mother's house, my grandmother lived there, and she had a wheelchair, and he loved to spin the wheels. Um, When she wasn't, you know, sitting in it, she would sit on the couch, and he would just spin them over and over again. That and her bike pedals from her exercise bike. And that should have been, like, the first clue that, okay, it's a little obsessive, because he would just sit there forever and do it. Um, so, yeah, that probably should have been a first clue. But, again, did not know any signs and just never thought 
just thought he was a neurotypical typical baby. Did not think that that would happen to us at that time. I was I wasn't ignorant to it, but yeah, when you don't know, I guess I kind of was a little ignorant to it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, when we were going to all the obviously the first year, you're going to pediatrician appointments like constantly. <laughs> yeah. So when we were going to those appointments and stuff, um, you know, the doctor would ask us, you know, is he doing this yet? Is he doing that yet? Is he sitting up? Is he holding his head up? You know, all that kind of kind of stuff throughout that first year. Is he crawling or rolling over? All that kind of stuff. And, it, and um, we didn't think there was any problem because they would ask us that. And then we're like, oh, he's not doing it yet. And then. Three days later, he would start doing it. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. So we didn't think it was, like, you know, a major problem or anything like that because he, he was he missed the milestones, but... How do you go by three days? By so I mean, shortly that's that just it, no it didn't seem like that. a big problem or anything. No, and like she just kept assuring us that everything was perfect with him. Like, he's perfect. When are you going to have more children? There was never anything that stood out to them at all. And that's why I think it was such a shock because for a long time... I just thought he was neurotypical. I just, no thoughts of it at all. Um, So, yeah, so like what Sean said, missing milestones didn't really happen. He did not crawl. Um, He did take a really long time to walk. He did not walk until 18 months. But, again, the doctor had said, well, he's, you know, he's a bigger kind of baby, um, so he can't hold his weight yet. So it was just kind of written off as that was normal, nothing to worry about, doesn't need to crawl, no big deal. He scooted a lot on his butt. He scooted everywhere. But no one said it was a problem. Um, And then I think after some time, I think, is when he started, we started to realize kind of... When he wasn't talking. He was stimulating, he was stimming a lot, Mm -hmm. he wasn't... um, I think the not talking came first for us. Yeah, no talking at all. Yeah. But those are some of the things I think we noticed in the, you know, the first things we've noticed, we noticed that, um, But know, even the talking, I didn't think wrong. was, I didn't even think the talking was a problem until the doctor wrote the prescription for the speech delay and things just took off from there. I mean, he wasn't like 11 months and I was like, oh my gosh, he's not talking. He would babble so much and he started saying mom, I'd say six, seven months. It was very, very early. And we both thought like, okay, I thought he was going to be an early talker. And then everything just changed. So even at that time, I did not think that there was a problem. It wasn't until after he was a little over one, I'd say, 12, 13 months, that she started saying about the speech delay. Uh, He said Baba all the time. um, And that was still happening around that time of the appointment of the speech delay prescription. And then that shortly just completely stopped and we never heard that again. Yeah, and that's when we then contacted EI early intervention. Yeah, we started EI at 18 months and that and went until three years. And yeah, that was when they somebody first talked about him potentially being autistic at the time. And um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't around very much for EI because I was working all the time. And Alex was in on all those OT appointments and appointments with the DI. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience with that? So, like Sean had said, when the practitioners came out for the evaluation for this speech delay, um, after the evaluation, towards the end of the process, I had heard one of the evaluators 
say to the other evaluator, possible autism. And I thought to myself, he's definitely autistic. And I just started hysterically crying sitting there. And not one of them came over to me and was like, no, we don't know yet. It's okay. Like, don't get upset. Let's get them evaluated. There was none of that. It was possible autism. And then they literally walked out two minutes later. And I remember Sean coming home. I don't know if he worked from home that day or if he came home from work later on. I was, I was working. And I came in and I said, he, he has autism. And he's like, what? Well, we don't know. I'm like, no, he 100% has autism. And I just thought, like, gosh, did I have to start reading about this. So... I remember getting a hot bath that day and just going to town on my cell phone and just reading about everything. But I knew then I didn't need a diagnosis to tell me once they mentioned it. I I knew. Um, And I that was my biggest fear again when I was pregnant. And I remember talking to my grandma about it, like what happens if he's autistic? And I knew nothing. I didn't even never met a child with autism. I never even knew. So why that was a fear of mine, I don't know. But I just was so worried about that. And that's what ended up happening. Um. So at that time, it was a really, really tough pill to swallow. Um, I thought to myself, I don't even know what to do. I'm, we're done. Like, and I remember them getting angry and saying to Sean, I'm not going to have this in my house. This is not going to happen in our house. And just completely being ignorant to it and thinking that I was going to change it or fix it. But I, I didn't know then what I was getting into. So that week went by with the anger, the, uh, the depression, and then it just was like a light switch. And I just thought... I have to do something. I can't let this be it. Like, I have to figure out how to make this better right now in this early stage and just go with it. And I have to pretty much work my butt off. And it's been nonstop since then. I never went back the other way. Yeah, and I think, I think, you know, you can compare it a lot to, like, a grieving process, you know? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, And how you feel and how you go through... the Your expectations change at through, that point. Like when you first find out and stuff like that. Um, and you know, she would, I know, she was determined to do everything she could to support Grayson. Yeah. Um, and you did. You did. I mean, she spent hours, 20 hours a week probably doing early intervention and working with him. With yeah. the therapist and stuff, because she wanted to, she didn't want just to let all those therapists uh, do a bunch of the work. She wanted to learn yeah. and get involved with him and really help him, so that she could do things with him when they weren't around. Because um, I knew once they like walked that. out, so, I was literally on my own. Yeah. Um, when they're coming for an hour in the beginning, and then it goes two hours. That's not a lot of time out of a, out of a twenty-four hour day. And I need to learn how to manage my kid and, and how to make his life easier. So, I mean, I literally wouldn't even walk away to go to the bathroom because I didn't ever want to leave my child with a stranger that I really didn't know. And I just needed to be hands-on and, and in there. And I was always involved with therapy from the start. Um, yeah. And then that led us down, uh, obviously, to the path of... Uh, going to a developmental pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got an appointment scheduled with uh, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and uh, took Grayson down there for a full evaluation and um, see if they would give him a diagnosis or not, which we were pretty, pretty, uh, you know, confident that that was going to be the case. So, yeah. Um, 
we pretty much knew that going into it, but which made it easier, I think, and it made I think doctors' it made it lives easier, easier because they already knew we yeah, knew what was but coming. But it, it was still a little bit hard to hear, hear him it, say that sure. and hear the results of the test, all in all. Um, and he had a, a speech assessment while he was there as well. Um, it's definitely a long process. It's a long thing it's going like four through four to six hours. Um, so, I mean, that could be tough. And a lot of money. <laughs> it's very expensive, yes. Yeah, thousands. But, you know, the the official um, diagnosis is really important for you to get services, services. particularly after early intervention, because early intervention in most states ages out at three. And even early um, intervention, you need a prescription for either a speech delay or something to get some the process sort of started. The, yeah. So, how did you feel about the experience of uh, his evaluation and everything. We took him, like, uh, we took him to CHOP of Children's Hospital Philadelphia. Um, And like Sean said, it was a really long appointment. At that time, I don't feel like Grayson really participated at all. He had no receptive language at all. He, there was really getting nothing, they were getting nothing out of him. They were asking him to do things. He, He didn't do anything. And I knew he was not going to do anything. He was a stubborn little kid. Um, he did not want to do anything for therapy. He was so not very social at that point. I knew either. he was. He doesn't care what they're asking him. He's involved. Grayson was involved at that point in his own life. He did not understand what anybody was saying to him, so it was completely irrelevant. I knew he was going to score extra, extra low on all of those areas. Um, so when we met, you first meet with the speech therapist, and they go through a whole assessment. Then later on, you meet with the doctors, and they give you their official diagnosis and you know, you ask any questions, take notes, things like that. When she had brought us back, we and explained, you know, he does have autism, everything. And back then he was headbanging really bad. There was zero receptive language. There was no speaking at all. So we had said to her, how severe is he? And she said, he's really too young. I don't want to put a tag of a level on it yet. So we had said, okay, well, if you had to right now at this point, what would you say? And he said, she said, I would say severe, all for the reasons I just mentioned. Um, but the reason she didn't want to put a level on it is because Grayson had not yet at that point received any ABA therapy. He was only getting early intervention. There was no speech therapy um, because doctor's orders were he cannot go out of the home for speech therapy. It has to be in the home, natural environment because of the head banging and not him like hurting himself outside or like on the cement or at these places. It was just we were trying to get the behavior under control, and he couldn't handle at that point going to another place for those services. So, it, I mean, that was the real main reason that, uh, that well, the two main reasons she would have qual- uh, classified him as yeah. severe was language, the language and the headbanging. Mm-hmm. Together, that makes for a, a more difficult case. Um, obviously, challenging behaviors is probably... And communication, they're probably the one and two big challenges um, that our our children face in the autism yeah, unfortunate. world. So, yeah. Um, I mean, and then, you know, obviously at that point, you get to have those wonderful conversations with your friends and family members about yeah, like the fact how do that you your start, child's autistic. and How do you start that off, you know? Um, um, that was... I mean, I remember we didn't we didn't come out and tell a lot of people right away. Um, 
you know, I think we needed to kind of process it and think about, you know, how it's affecting us and how telling different people is going to affect us. We don't even understand it. We don't understand it completely at that point in time ourselves either. I mean, yeah, we dove into it and learned and as much as we honestly, could. But we were still we pretty didn't. early in the process before, yeah. And that's why we didn't tell anybody. We... I, we, I needed to process it myself before I could even talk about it to somebody else. And I was not embarrassed at all. It was just, I needed to wait until we were somewhere to where I knew exactly what was going on with Grayson at that point. And I think a little bit was that I just wanted to protect him a little bit longer. I did talk to my grandmother about it a little bit, um, but she was the only one. And I, I didn't even tell my friends. I might have told one friend, and I, I don't even think I did that. I mean, yeah. I don't think it was anybody. I just, I needed time, and I needed to just focus on Grayson and putting him first. And that was my biggest priority. Yeah, I I was a little nervous and had some anxiety about telling people. Um, Because obviously you don't don't know how people are going to react to certain things. I mean, you know, certain people in your life you trust and you know very well... uh, that it's going to go really well when you talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I was astonished at how many people are like, oh, no, he doesn't have any problems. Yeah, it's like they're <laughs> fighting like, with us about it. Like, yeah. oh, just give it time, he'll be fine. Like, no, I'm telling you, he has autism. Like, if you can't see when he's spinning nonstop and flapping, like, it, it was it was clear as day it, to me at, at that, that point. point. And then it yeah. was like, for me, it was like, I started getting angry at those people. Like, what are you talking about? Like, don't tell me my child's neurotypical. Like, it just completely switched um, to where we just knew, and we just thought those people were being a little ridiculous. Yeah. And it's it's kind of tough having the conversation over and over and over and over again yeah. with people. That's trying a little to defend something's wrong. Uh, but, you know, and also the way, you know, people look at you at the store when they're spinning it around or, you know, and we never cared about that or ever. Screaming because they're doing something or something's bothering them. We never cared. <laughs> you know, Grayson can go in the middle of Target that. and spin and dance. He can throw his iPad down. Well, he doesn't bring it to Target, but if he did, <laughs> he would throw it down. And you know what? I would stand right there and just dance with him because we are not embarrassed. I love Grayson. I think it's the cutest thing when he's doing those things. I just look at him and smile. I'm like, you're perfect to me. You are perfect. And that's it. I mean, I never was ashamed of him, ever. Um, and I think it's made life much more enjoyable, honestly. I could never imagine being embarrassed by that. But I guess some people are. Yeah, so then, I mean, at that point, we're, we're doing uh, early intervention. And we have our diagnosis. So they're using that information with early intervention. And then kind of... Uh, um, a few things ended up happening, and we had a major regression from Grayson. Um, Not even really a regression. He, he didn't just didn't want, want to work anymore. He didn't want anybody in the house other than us. And Chop thought it was a really good thing, actually, because he was noticing what they were there for and that he had to do things, and he didn't want to because yeah. he's stubborn um, and he does not want to work. He is super intelligent. But at that time, it was also, like, a receptive language problem, too. Mm-hmm. So I think it caused a lot of anxiety with Grayson because of it being, like, a language barrier and him not understanding 
and not wanting to do the work. So, like the doctor said, some kids don't even notice when the therapists are walking in or even doing anything. So, thankfully, he was aware of that. So, I took it as a, a, you know, a positive thing. We'll be right back after a word from our show sponsors. Here at Building the Puzzle, we understand how difficult and challenging it can be for parents with autistic children that have communication delays. Well, if you're in New Jersey, you're in luck. The Speech Paradigm has you covered. They're helping children overcome speech challenges all across New Jersey. They offer both telehealth services as well as in-home therapy. Please reach out to them. You can uh, take a look on their website at www.thespeechparadigm.com. You can reach out by phone at 732-203-5268. You can also find them both on Facebook and Instagram as well at The Speech Paradigm. We are also sponsored by Grayson and Company, uh, making homemade toys. They have everything from wooden homemade toys to sensory bins, sensory boards, all different kinds of toys for your children. Uh, they can be reached at grayson-company.myshopify.com as well as on Facebook and Instagram as well as Etsy. On Etsy, they can be found at Grayson and Company Toys. And now back to the show. It was definitely a big challenge, though. I mean, we had, mm-hmm. we got to the point where the DI, like, the new plan that was written for him <laughs> was the DI was just to walk in the door and stand there for 10 minutes. Like Not even sit down, just stand at the door <laughs> for 15 minutes. And if Grayson was okay, then he could move into the middle of the room. Yeah, and that went on for a week. And that went on for a week. And then when he made that mark, he, he was able to sit down. And then he was able to eventually move close, like, one seat closer to Grayson. Then he then could hand Grayson a book. <laughs> then he could hand Grayson. And it was just like, it was like a month-long process of getting him back to that point. Honestly, so. it was longer than that. And I don't think we ever got him back, to be honest. Um, the state BCBA came out when we were having all of the problems with EI. And a couple months after that, his OT left because she went on maternity leave. And then a couple months after that, he aged out. And we went right into ABA because they had at that point said, we can't help you anymore. This is out of our scope of practice. So at that point was when we started looking for ABA. And that worked out pretty good with the timing anyway because we were going to have to move out of EI because he was going to age out anyway Yeah. um, within a couple months of that Mm -hmm. two or three months of that time period anyway so um, so we got the 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 extra help with ABA the perfect time I would say yes so yeah and we so we started ABA and we decided to go take him to a biomedical doctor right around the same time period he started, I think we started ABA, ABA in June a few months before and the went to biomedical that November. So, so it was like... About four months difference. So, and, and I mean, ABA, we started off slow. No programs. The, no programs. We didn't do any... Well, we didn't do any discrete We couldn't give training. any demands at all. We had to let very Grayson easy. engage on his own, which, if you know, ABA is usually very strict table um, and running trials the whole time. We started, We had to start off that way because we couldn't have him doing the same thing he did in early intervention and just completely stopping working again. So we eased into it, no programs, and we literally had no programs for probably about a year. Um, and it worked out very well. We got Grayson to just 
trust the therapist and the receptive language was finally there. So it was more of an environmental, um, all, you know, natural environment, I believe they call it, ABA therapy, where, you know, they're teaching things as Grayson, you know, interacts with different toys and books and puzzles and stuff, as opposed to, you know, sitting him at a table and having him go through tasks and stuff like that. Um, you know, and they wanted to spend a lot of time pairing with him because one of the things that I think we all learned from EI was that he is very picky with some of the things he likes. So reinforcing him for doing things well was a big challenge in the beginning. Uh, we had a lot of trouble figuring out what the best reinforcers for him were. And, you know, I th- think there were no all reinforcers. The ABA for a while to really narrow that down. And I think we've, we eventually got it to the, his iPad. And we knew the TV <laughs> was, was a reinforcer, a but it just, it just didn't work out because the problem was, was that the TV had to be on for Grayson to actually do the tasks. When the TV went off, Grayson didn't work anymore. So they took that as, okay, he's a child that wants something on in the background while he's working. And they got more out of him at that point. So you weren't going to shut off the TV to reinforce when, at that point, he would just completely shut down. Um, We tried puffs. We've tried yogurt. The puffs would work for about three puffs, one at a time. And then once he was on to, wait a minute, I have to do something to get the puff? Guess what? I don't want to eat it anymore. And he would just completely just give up. Just forget about it. Yeah, he was, he's like his mama. <laughs> he's eat, give it to me at all once or nothing at all. Um, so, yeah, so I want to go back for a second, though, because I had said that it was about a year from ABA and then until things got better. But we started ABA June of 2019, and I would say things turned around end of December. November beginning of December 2019, which is when we started... The biomedical treatment. Yes. So the biomedical treatment, uh, Grayson couldn't focus on completing tasks in the ABA. He didn't want to work. He just he just needed a little bit of a push. Um, so I started going online and just literally enthralling myself in what other parents were doing, diets, everything. So we tried, the first thing we did was we took him off of dairy. We took him off of, well, milk, cow's milk. And we switched to rice milk and hemp milk. Um, First, we tried almond milk, and he absolutely hated that. But the thing that was good with the hemp milk is because of the omegas and everything else, we thought that that would be really important and beneficial for him. I don't know how he liked it. Hemp milk? It's disgusting. Well, he lo- oh, how he likes it. Yeah, well, he loves it. <laughs> it's and so It's so good that we started when we did, though, because he. I don't think he would drink it now if we would have taken him off of cow's milk. So that was the first thing. We noticed, like, little changes. He was more alert and listening and stuff. No talking yet or anything like that. But he was more alert, so we're like, okay. So we just kept going with that. But he still ate yogurt, and he still ate, like, macaroni and cheese, things like that. So he had a little bit of dairy, casein. Then what we did was we, I took him to a biomedical doctor. I originally reached out to a distant cousin of mine who has a lot of experience in the autistic autism field. Um, he's a well-known doctor, world-renowned, has autistic centers all over the world. So I reached out to him and told him kind of, you know, Grayson headbangs, we're having behavior, he can't focus, things like this. 
And he had suggested a few things, and he said, everything you're doing is right, taking him off of the gluten. So he was still eating regular meals with gluten, but we took him off all of his gluten snacks. So we went to gluten-free snacks and no cow's milk. And he said all of that was correct, and that he recommended a few things, which were a multivitamin called Supernuthera, uh, DMG, which is a very potent... It's, it's not a multivitamin, but it's supposed to be very good for behavior and bringing on a child's speech. And I think those were the only two things we, we started with. And from that point on, I thought, okay, now I need to find a doctor to tell me how to dose these vitamins. So that was the next step. I need to find a biomedical because my pediatrician cannot help me with this. Honestly, there was literally nothing she could help me with other than us getting him diagnosed, getting him in early intervention, and then that was the end of it. And to be honest, he has not been back at the pediatrician since. Um, nothing is helping him there. He's never been sick, so he's never had to go. He's never had an ear infection. He only got sick one time after his 18-month vaccines, and he was really sick. Um, high fevers, so I don't know if that had an effect on him or not. But so I found the biomedical doctor, and they were like a godsend from the beginning. They told us other things, other vitamins to start him on. We did fish oil. We did a probiotic. We He's did a multivitamin. A, a, a 5-HTP to help him sleep. Well, that was later. Him. That that was so, about eight months later after we started. Mineral drops. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and I want to interject, too. You know, we're just telling you what our doctor put him on. I mean, they did an extensive blood test on him to find out what well, he's deficient in. Or hair test. They're Sorry. not getting blood from him. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> hair test. Um, where they were able to, you know, see what things he's lacking. You know, all of our children are different. Um, neurotypical or autistic, doesn't matter. Every one of them has different needs. So, you know, I think that's very different. important that you make sure, like, before you put your kid on anything, you want to make sure you talk to a doctor. Um, you know, if it's all, particularly if it's all natural stuff, you want to try to speak to a biomedical doctor because that's where their their experience lies. So, and, uh, I mean, I couldn't believe how quickly some of that stuff had an effect on him. Oh, my gosh, yeah, the fish oil. Remember, it was, like, literally the night we gave it to him. The ne- by the next day, he was, like, we a completely different kid. We couldn't believe it. It was, like, it was right before our eyes. Like, it was really amazing. He just started listening, was, looking at you every time he called his name. Yeah. I mean, he, he made eye contact before that. He no, had good eye contact. He didn't have bad eye contact, but, I mean, like, you would call his name, and he'd snap around and look at you, like, in a split second. Yeah. There was no delay. There was no, like, his mind wasn't wandering around looking for things to... And that's why the pediatrician never thought he was autistic. She still, to this day, does not think he has autism because he has eye contact. I I have to explain that it's a spectrum. Why I am explaining that to a doctor is totally beyond me, but um, that's where we're at. So the biomedical was great. It was just a whole different view. They cared more about him as a patient. And what about, um, what about when, um... Our BCBA behavioral. Yeah. They left on a Friday, the BCBA, and Grayson was horrible at that point. He was not completing the tasks, nothing. We go to buy him. We started him on the vitamins that weekend because we wanted it to be on a weekend. So we started Friday night and then Saturday, Sunday, and they came back on Monday. And I had said, oh, yeah, I took him to a biomedical. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of BCBAs and ABA therapists, things like that, they don't really believe in that. You'll find a few, but... If they do, they're not allowed to say. So 
she kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And then like a half an hour went by and Grayson was just doing what they wanted him to do. And she looks at me and she goes, this is unbelievable. This was like a flip of a switch because they literally saw him three days prior to that. So she's like, I I have to tell the other parents about this. Um, It was just absolutely incredible to see that somebody else was seeing the changes that we were seeing, that it wasn't just us. I mean, it was so noticeable. And biomedical is not going to be a cure for any of our children. No, and to be honest, anybody can go to a biomedical. It's vitamins, nutrients. I think the the idea, though, is we need to give our kids the best opportunity to learn as much as they can when they do have therapy. Right. Right. Yeah, and I will say this. If you, a lot, one in five children that have autism are on a special diet. They're eat, some of them are on gluten-free, casein-free. Um, the glu- G- GFCF is the most common diet, but then you have a range of protocols, too, that a lot of parents don't know about. You have the name-check proto- protocol, and those kinds of things like that, we have never personally tried that, but I've heard great things about it. And all that is is it's controlling the inflammatory response that can cause a developmental delay. And they believe that that can happen from bacteria overgrowth in the gut, hence why part of that we did do with Grayson and putting him on a probiotic. We did grapefruit seed extract because he did come back with a bacteria in the gut. Although he never showed signs that he was sick, it was not on the outside, it was on the inside. Um, patients who have experienced success with this protocol said it completely reversed the symptoms. And I've heard really good things, and they actually have support groups for them on Facebook where you can find information about these protocols and everything else. But what they do is the child takes olive oil, fish oil, and a probiotic called inulin. And that is supposed to reduce the inflammation of the bacteria overgrowth. Um, it restores omega three sixes, so it's definitely something to look into. Um, I I definitely suggest every parent out there with a child on the spectrum read the books, do things that not that the doctors aren't telling you. Um, it's definitely worth looking at. Just keep your mind open, and you know, go into it with okay. So I put my kid on fish oil. It doesn't work. What can possibly happen? You stop the fish oil. But if you have a behavior problem and you're going to a developmental pediatrician, the doctor at his um, diagnosis evaluation appointment had said he's too young now, but if the behavior continues, we can put him on, um, it was Ritalin and it was, um, I can't remember the name of it. It's actually like a bipolar kind of medication and Risperdal is the name of it. And it is really strong and I looked at her and said, I will never put my child on that. So I was willing to try to take out dairy rather than put him on a highly sedative drug that has so many side effects that I don't know how he's going to react to. And that was what made me trust the biomedical. It's all natural minerals, as Sean was saying earlier, vitamins. um, And that's for anybody. That is for adults. It's worth looking into. Absolutely. It is out of pocket and it is not covered by insurance. And that does deter a lot of parents. But if you can get on a payment plan and try it out, I mean, just think about when you're going and getting them, you know, reevaluated every year and you're paying thousands, add up one year of biomedical and it might be like two, three grand, you know, or maybe more, including the vitamins, but you're paying the same price. And I feel like you're actually seeing the changes and you can possibly get further that way so it we're huge believers believers in it and i have never been for 
vitamins or all natural or diets or, or anything like that. I was never a believer, but I saw this literally happen with my own eyes. So I vouch a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Do you and feel I, the same? Yeah. I think it, yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's been amazing and, and it's really helped him a lot. Um, you know, he made a lot of progress after that, after we put him on those supplements and, he did really well for a while, and then we kind of, I think we plateaued just a little bit right around the time that COVID started, and we got locked down, and we lost all our ABA therapists because we didn't want anybody in the house, and then we were kind of trying to work with them on our own for Which went really months. great. He, went, he did, did great. We did do some, he did learn some new skills during that yeah. time period. We got through it, making some progress, which was great. Even though you know we didn't have them here to help us, yeah. um, and then you know I think when did we start back with therapy? We started end of June. End of June. Yeah. Okay. So we got. I just a, went so, through my photos the other so day. So I think to we missed maybe three months. Three of when we three went months, back. Yeah. Three months. There was no way we could keep them out longer than that. Yeah, we needed to get them back as soon as we could. Yeah. So know, instead of going with we three therapists, we didn't want to lose out on that that time. Yeah. That he could be making progress, and um, it was a little bit challenging when he first came back he did great though the bcba Um, couldn't believe how fast he transitioned back into it into it yeah and some of the kids didn't that you know we got really lucky with grayson a lot of these children had a really hard time during the quarantine and we got really lucky because it really could have been much worse so i think he adjusted just fine we did drop down though from three therapists to one just because we didn't want a lot of people coming yeah, in, yeah, we just with, couldn't have you know, it. Pandemic and everything. So we went so. with the strictest therapist that we thought was connected at with that him point the best. is what Grayson needed. It, we yeah. weren't going to take it easy anymore. We were going to kind of get right to Push business. Push them a little bit harder. Yeah, yeah, and um, they were doing really well for a while, um, and then we were having some challenges with him doing the give me and identifying the right thing and not just scrolling through them and giving us everything. He would just hand you anything. He would just get hand, you out we, we, we'd put, you know, two things on the table and be like, hand me the ball. And he'd grab both things and hand it to me real fast. Just to get his shot. Just to get <laughs> the activity done. Yeah. Um, and our BCBA was having our RBT do them with two options, just two options of things to choose. <clears throat> like they did it with numbers and letters, all different things to see what oh, what would that. work well for him. Um, finally, the RBT is like, you know, he's doing really well today. I feel like we should just we, we should just try something. He took out the flashcards. He threw eight flashcards out on the table of all random letters of the alphabet, and he asked, "Give me three. Give me ten. Give me four. The numbers. The numbers. And he gave them every single one right. Then he took out... (laughs) Then he took out the alphabet and did the same thing. He got every one right. Then they changed the... The uh, median from uh, uh, flashcards to, like, 3D blocks. And he got all of them right. And we were like... Then they took the edge sketch. Me and the ABA therapist were literally just sitting there, like, with our jaws dropped. Speechless. Like, wait, like, maybe we just aren't working this kid hard enough and he's bored. Then they took... (laughs) I said etch sketch It's not the etch sketch Um, They took the board where you can just write and then erase it by sliding the slider. 
to the right. So they took that and he wrote down just words like, you know, bright, Ed, dog. cat, dog. Yeah. No, four. And February. our therapist's name is Ed and he wrote his name and asked Grayson. He wrote down mom, dad, and he wrote down Grayson and asked him the words. And, and Grayson pointed to every single one. Words that he, like, we didn't go over, like, oh, this is this and how to read them. Um, but he knew all and, of them. He knows how to spell his therapist's name, and he's never seen it written down. Yeah, and it's incredible you know, because he doesn't verbally communicate. Doesn't mean we didn't even know that. We didn't know that he knew that stuff. Yeah, you know, which obviously creates its own challenges in and of itself. But I mean, those that that like two week period where we discovered all of that was kind of like a breakthrough. Ever since then, he's been like just yeah. absorbing. So smart. Information, like, constantly. I mean, he's learning and mastering new things every single week. Yeah. Um, making progress with everything every single week. Um, it's and unbelievable. It's, it's so exciting. I can't believe where we're at today. He can communicate so much better. He's learning how to use uh, the PEX cards in the yeah, perfect way now. Yeah, It took some time to work on that, but now he's really... Yeah. He's getting that. Um, he is his really socialization's improving. He's interacting with people more, yeah. uh, even with other kids, which, you know, obviously COVID hurt that for a little bit, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. He, he's still doing it, and uh, it's awesome. Yeah, he's he is amazing. I, I he's He just amazes me every single day. It's sometimes I just look and I'm like, God, I made that. So, like, it's. If this is, it was an audio and you actually had a video of us right now, like you wouldn't be able to, 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 to handle the smiles we have on our faces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Just because of how uh, happy we get when we talk excited. about him. Yeah, and how he's such a good kid. Pro- just behavior how much wise, like, I'm so proud of him. We would go out to restaurants and we would have Grayson next to us, and Grayson would be sitting there reading a book, and people would be done their dinners and you know pay for their check and leave, and they would walk by our table. And they would stop and be like, gosh, I wish my child or my grandchild behaved how he does. He sat there and just read a book where sometimes you see just kids running all over the place and they're not listening. Crazy. Yeah. Like he (laughs) is just like, I'm going to sit here and read my book. Like it's the funniest thing if like Sean's playing a video game. Grayson's sitting there reading like a 50 states book and Sean's playing a video game. I'm like, what is going on here? You're four. Like it's it's. Really incredible to see him do that. Yeah. I mean, so... So well-behaved. You know, I want to say to everybody out there that, you know, is going through the journey like we are. You know, we've only been going through it for four and a half years now, but it's been up and down. It's like a roller coaster, but never give up. Um, even it's going to pay we off one down, day. And we were worried and, you know, uh, you know, getting to the point where we don't know how much more we could deal with, deal with. Uh, we were, we were lucky enough that, you know, God finally came through and helped him and, you know, we're in so much of a better place right now. Yeah. And, and I'm so proud. So don't give up, never give up. Can always do things to, to help our kitties get better. So. And, you know, like, yeah, and I think that even if you don't have a child on the spectrum, if you have a neurotypical child, 
you are going to have your moments where you just want to scream. But I will say that is like with anything in life. It's great and you have difficult moments and that's what you learn from. I think the biggest thing for us is never getting frustrated with Grayson. I always try to understand Grayson in every single moment of what could be upsetting him. And I try to have a lot of compassion for him. So we reassure him a lot that we love him. The most important thing is not to lose your patience and get frustrated. Um, A lot of these kids, they just don't understand sometimes, and we can't expect them to. And again, if they can't communicate, we don't know if something's going on with them. He could be flipping out and meltdown and, and meltdown because his stomach hurts, and he can't explain that. So how else is he supposed to get his point across? So... That's how I look at it. Um, You know, we have never smacked or hit Grayson for how he was, ever. And I think that's the point where, in the beginning when this happens, you say, what did I do, God, to deserve this when it first happens and you're still ignorant to it? And now I'm so thankful that he's mine because I have, we have the patience to deal with him and where some parents could not. And he might have gotten smacked or beat for not talking or having a meltdown and a parent not understanding him. So I am so grateful that he is our son. Yeah. So before we wrap up, is there anything, any other comments, points you'd like to make? Everybody just hang in there. Um, Like I said before, if you're having a bad day, anything like that, Please, you know, check out our Instagram and our Facebook. It's under Building the Puzzle. And just write a message. Write a post. Um, and there's a lot of yeah. parents that you can just reach out to that are going through the same thing. Autism groups are very, very important. Yeah, let's all help each other and support each other out there. Yeah, absolutely. We're not, we're, none of us are alone. No, okay. we can help anybody through anything. For autism, building Building the the puzzle, puzzle, one piece piece at a time. time. I'm Sean. And I'm Alex. Signing Signing off. off. Take care, everybody.